Hello and welcome. My name is Jill Martin, the host of the Morning Mail podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Rose Michael. And joining me as a guest co-host is Dion Sheldon Collins. Author of The Asking Game and The Art of Navigation, Rose has been published most recently in the Sydney Review of Books, Mianjin, Overland, The Conversation and Going Down Swinging, issue 39. In the media section, we talk about the new weird, dead to me, and a tiny bit about the impact Avengers Endgame has. For the topic, we once again delve into literary specfic talk. Now, there was a slight issue with the audio quality on one of the mics, and usually I'm quite picky about these things and probably wouldn't have aired the episode, but the conversation was really good, and it would be a shame not to hear it out. As always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to get in touch via our Twitter at specficvec or email us at mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. We are back at the Brunswick Street Bookstore, but it's a little bit of a different view today because I don't have any of our regular co-hosts. They've all abandoned me. They fled the coop, so to speak. They knew I was leaving and they said, Joel, we can't live anymore. So I've had to find a new co-host, guest co-host for a few episodes, Dion Sheldon Collins. Hello. Welcome. This makes me sound like a bit of a backup choice, but I'm oh, still goodness. wrong. Though. I just realized it, it really does, doesn't it? Or put it this way, you're the backup for me. Think Captain yeah, Marvel. Yeah, I'm, yeah exactly, exactly. It's a pretty good backup. Yeah. It's a pretty good backup. Better alternative, let's exactly. put it that way. I had to find someone as interesting as me to yeah, replace yeah. me. So I really like that you're complimenting me through narcissism. I'm very yes, on board with that. Exactly. It sounds like something I do. I'm definitely You can relate to this. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's very me. <laughs> so how has your week been, Dion? Um, good. Um, I have... I have something interesting to talk about. <laughs> I should have prepared for this better. Yeah, um, yeah no, it's I've just been um, uh, working as usual, and uh, then I had uh, today off and started uh, watching a new TV show on Netflix. Ooh, so that'll segue nicely into, into the media, media watch section. later. Exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's that time of year where I'm constantly observing how is it that time of year already. So, yeah. Uh, I'm mostly just reeling at the fact that it's May. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. Um, well, we have a guest, Rose Michael. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much. How has your week been, Rose? What have you been up to? Similarly, I think bunkering down for winter and then re- surprisingly realizing it's actually autumn still. <laughs> yes, I know. It's the last feel like it, does it? Yeah. I'm th- going to the iPad conference tomorrow. Fantastic. Um, which is, yep, pretty exciting. Yeah. Interesting. Do you? What are the topics? Um, I'm that doing you'll be a on? co-panel with some other. Um, writers and editors from RMIT on editing first pages on the iterations from either drafts or the front pages of a book and looking at the changes our manuscripts over went through time and the micro line editing and how those red pen marks reflect much bigger issues around um, perspectives and inclusiveness and you know the politics and the kind of contextual work so it should be an interesting discussion hopefully yeah people sharing their own experiences as editors and writers yes and have you been to this uh conference no i haven't it opened today interesting at work Fantastic. Well, shall we move on to the media section? We can talk about what we've been watching, reading, and everything else that you do in media. So I will start off as usual. I have nothing to talk about. Um, <laughs> and then I, he. Yeah. <laughs> and then he lets, lets <laughs> and, and then I let someone else go. No, I, it's just, it's been a weird transitional thing of 
not actually doing very much recently in terms of media. Um, I talked about the, the last book that I've been reading. I finally got around, I think this is sort of old news, but I'm reading an anthology called The New Weird, which was edited by Anne and Jeff Vandermeer. Um, and I've had this book with me for a couple of months, almost a year, and it's been on my bedside table. Um, and I've just had more things to read. So I finally lessened the bedside table list uh, down to this book. Um, and so far, it's really interesting. Um, there's definitely some recognizable uh, faces in that book, but I'm very much at the start of it. So I will have more to report when I return. He's written an excellent article. I can't mm. remember where I found it on the weird lives of weird writers, yeah. which is actually kind of disturbing. It makes you feel like you need to have a psychotic break to kind of write the kind of stuff. Yeah, that's like yeah. pressure, isn't it? I wanted to write weird fiction, but apparently I live a normal suburban yeah. life. So although <laughs> that, that might be weird. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. exactly. Micropsychosis. <laughs> you never know. Um, it's funny about weird fiction. I was just doing a little bit of research today, and I um, I was reading uh, an anthology called uh, The Best New Weird of the Year, um, which yep. is the best new weird of the year. Uh, weird fiction of the year. promises. Yeah. <laughs> and the editor was talking about what he defines as weird fiction, because a lot of people now are having a lot of contrary views of what weird fiction really is, and his opinion is that weird fiction is just new horror. Um, uh, a new type of horror. And I don't know well, if... I'm quite resistant to that. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so am I. And I read that and I was like, mm, I sort of know what you mean, but I mm, I just don't think the themes... How's he defining horror? Like sort of gothic horror or... I feel like he's, he's, he's in one sense, uh, weird fiction, and now this is my turn to define it, which I will <laughs> fail to do. So I'm not going to try. I tried in a PhD and I failed, <laughs> so, you know... <laughs> that was it's, 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> It's very odd, isn't it? It's well, it, interestingly, that was what I was wrestling with, the gothic, the relationship between the gothic and the weird fiction. Mm. Yeah. Um, but but I guess where I got to in the end is I thought the, the gothic, one of the pleasures of the gothic is the established mm. tropes, you know, the expectations, yeah, you know, sure. the icon of the, yep. of the haunted house or the letter mm. or, you know, those kinds of things. And I thought, you know, very much as a reader, and I was on a panel at the New South Wales um, Speculative Fiction um, Weekend with sure. Julie Julie Coe and Jane Rawson yeah. and um, Karen Walker and um, we were talking about weird fiction mm-hmm. and in the end a- out of that panel I thought it's something about the unexpectedness mm-hmm. and for me that's quite contrary to the pleasures of the Gothic yeah. which is far more about the 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 narrative arc being recognisable and still can be surprising, but then you're expecting surprise, whereas the weird being a little bit more you think you're in one kind of story mm. and then something else you know, kind of bubbling up. Yeah. I mean, even going back to Jeff Vandermeer, to Annihilation, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that way in which, you know, the tower is a tunnel. Yeah. The tower is a tunnel. Yeah. The tower is a tunnel. And you can't grasp that. Yeah. You know, that, that I think is not gothic. Yes. Gothic, it's a tower. It's, it's a, a tower. Crypt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a lot more literal. It's not a tower tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, that, that was his assumption is that in one sense, people are resisting the idea of defining it as horror in the same way that they were resisting dark fantasy as a, as a type of fantasy horror. But you know that stuff um, that you can read about the uncanny mm. and the eerie, yeah. in particular the eerie in the English literature and the English countryside, I think that does sit on that nexus between gothic mm. and um, yeah. fiction because the idea of the eerie, I mean I was at this um, 
workshop that James Bradley and James sure, Wilson yeah. were running and James Bradley said, which I thought was great, is he was like, it's when the animate acts inanimate. Yep. The zombie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And when the inanimate acts animate. Animate, yeah. The skeleton. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. And, and I sort of thought, well, actually, that's a real point of you know nexus you can or sort of see that yeah the, the horror and, and the he d- weird. he did make that point of that american writers and english writers approach things very differently in weird mm-hmm. fiction so that's also another yeah. point but that's, um, um that's interesting to yeah. bring up the uncanny because uh sort of the very basic definition of the uncanny is the familiar becomes unfamiliar and vice versa mm. which is also uh sort of the basic definition of surrealism you know that's putting right. the re- yes. like the familiar into the unfamiliar yep. um so it's weird but at the same time there's lots of examples where that is what the gothic yeah, does yeah. yes so, so that's where the crossover exists. There's a Venn diagram in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, there you go. That that was my way of getting out of a media section. We talking about a topic I like. Um, but Dion, why don't you? Well, I put myself in for this by mentioning Netflix, haven't yeah. I? Last time I was on this podcast, Rose, I um I had just gotten Netflix like two weeks beforehand, and so I had just started binge watching all sorts of things, and I just started watching a show which is now my favourite show, which I am rewatching at the yeah. moment, which is Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective oh. Agency. Um, but a new show that I've started watching because otherwise I'm just going to talk about Dirk Gently for forty minutes. <laughs> Joel, Joel that happened last in my time. Eyes. Yeah. Yes, and Joel's like, no, no, move on, move on. Um, it's uh, it's just been released it's called dead to me um and it's a tricky one to uh to define really because um there are quite a lot of uh twists and turns within the first few episodes so it's sort of a a mystery uh but also um a dark comedy it's about grief and recovery um and it's hard to even talk about what actually happens in the premise because sort of by the end of episode two there's already been so many gear changes um that i'd be spoiling if i explained it but yeah. I'm, I'm four or five episodes in and i'm finding it really interesting uh very well acted and the characterization's mm. great and it's kind of this take on female friendship within a very sort of uh dark situation and i really enjoy seeing well-written female friendships yeah. particularly older women um um, and I think so far it's doing that really well. Interesting. Yeah. Is that something that's popped up on your radar, Rose? Not a big TV watcher. Yeah. That's... I don't seem to have time in my life. <laughs> that's fair. Though that said, I did go to see Avengers Endgame Ooh. 3D at And the I IMAX haven't seen that. So between us. Every <laughs> friend and their kid yep. packed out seats on Sunday night. Goodness. And the energy in that room. Yep. I mean, you know, you could launch a yeah. rocket ship with that excitement. Yeah, I um. So <laughs> it, it was funny talking about Avengers Endgame because we so we're saving the 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 in depth break talk about thing with uh, with good friend of the podcast Alison Goodman, um, and she's a huge uh, Marvel fan, and we're gonna unpack a lot of that. But I do want to talk to you a little bit about <laughs> what you just said, the energy in the room. Should be talking to my nine year old. <laughs> I was <laughs> out uh, afterwards identifying plot points and yeah, yeah, yeah. How is this, and he's like, well, well, <laughs> let, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I do want to talk to you about just one thing about that, and that is, I don't think, and correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, that there's caress ever me. caress me if I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, um, would you like me to leave the room for a moment? <laughs> yeah, so I can just shut down. All right, no, yeah, yeah. Let's just let's just not edit that out. Yeah. So that, yeah. yeah. Anyway, moving on. Correct <laughs> me if I'm wrong. But I don't think there's ever been a filmic event like this uh, in the past because you've had 10 years of mm. filmmaking. Um, and in one sense, and I've heard people say this before, 
But Avengers Endgame, you, you just can't watch it as a film. It is not a good standalone movie. You will understand nothing about it. The, the, the character's motivations are set up as a long tale. So you, you don't really get anything out of that movie unless you've watched 10 movies. But what's interesting is that also we're watching Game of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Else. Yep. And I thought there's just real parallels. They're turning sure. the filmic franchise into like a series where yeah. you have to watch it for the cultural context. Yeah. You have to watch it to resolve a commitment you yep. made in a previous life. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> you know, there are all sorts of other things. I mean, the pleasure for me in the Avengers, apart from the fact that the kids are watching something yeah, that yeah. has humans in it and isn't animated, yep. which is just delightful. Yep. Um, you know, there's a whole range of other things. But I just love the way they tie the stories mm. together. It's ma- It really you is know, magical. It's, it's crazy. And, and the way that they're taking, and my kids have the trump cards, which have all these stats um, of the Avengers, like how many episodes aired and when they were invented. And so you're continually reminded of the cultural context that produced mm. a very specific icon, you know, whether it's the 50s America or whether it's, you know, Black Panther movement or yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And then the idea that all of these stories are going to kind of connect together in one, you know, happy, holistic yep. new America, whatever, is, is very interesting. And the conversations that have come out with my kids as a result of it, mm. that's actually where the pleasure is for me. Is yeah, that, sure. You know, yeah. like even, you know, when they go, but how would the ti- titanium vibranium, yeah, yeah. You know, how would this work with that? And you're like, well, they put these different universes together. You know, yeah. they, they've got these alternate fictional realities yeah. and they have to think through – so who is who is more good out of these two good guys? Yes, you know, and they're kind of doing all and that a different kind of goodness. Yeah, and then yeah. talking about morality and then and it's yeah. very interesting to watch with kids compared yeah. to things where it's like bad and good. Good, yeah, you know, yeah, no. It, so that puzzle making is really appealing to me. So I agree with you about the event. Yeah, um, and and I thought it is it is much more comparable to a series that's been running exactly. for a really long time. Yeah. I think the end of Seinfeld. Yes, the final yeah, 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 Seinfeld yeah, yeah. had that kind of cultural moment around it and but in one sense you could say that seinfeld as a cultural icon never changed you know it yeah. never really oh, it didn't absorb got with the times no, it right. never did no. whereas if you look at like if you go back and you watch event, uh, iron man 2 yeah. or something like that yeah. and like there's some stuff in there that you're like who we really have moved on <laughs> from when right. this is made <laughs> and you can see that they grew as filmmakers yep. and and the themes being discussed constantly reflect the time. Then as a Star Trek obsessive, <laughs> I would say that Star Trek is a, is quite a similar franchise. Yeah. It doesn't deny its precursors. Yes. You know, like Kirk is built into Picard. Yep, you know, yep, there's yep, a yep, way yep, in which yep. they speak yep. to each other, you know. And then the movies, I yep. mean the, the recent, you know, most recent yep. series of movies, you know, like literally using characters in that same way, but it's continually like Referring back to yeah, those principles, referential, sure. even if they're ethics that have sort of changed on. It's just not – that hasn't got as wide a reach as yeah. the Avengers. It's a bit it, more it, niche. It's really <laughs> interesting, and I think I feel like this year we'll be talking a lot about both Game of Thrones and, and Avengers, not just about the stories but about what they do and what they are doing. Um, but, Rose, tell us yeah, a bit about what you've, what you've been doing. My media. Well, I've been mm. reading. Um, I read a review of Andrew Sean Greer or an interview with Andrew Sean Greer who wrote Less and they mentioned a book of his which I instantly downloaded and started reading which I mm. loved, The Impossible Lives of Greta Wells. Mm. And what I, oh, I just finished it a couple of nights ago and what's really interesting to me about that book and two other books that I've read recently and it, it relates to my own kind of writing, the other two is Kate Atkinson's Life After Life. Mm-hmm. Sure. And Jenny Erpendeck's End of Days. And all three of those books 
deal with actually all women characters who in a kind of time slip way go back to moments in their own life and get to kind of play them again mm. um and so out of those three books you know some are sort of more literary than others and some are a bit more reductive in terms of the time travel loopness mm-hmm. but i thought it's really interesting those three and it's really interesting the role of the second world war mm. um in each of those books and the way in which that um models a particular kind of citizen that obviously we're quite nostalgic for sure um, yeah but I was I was I've been really interested in looking at the comparisons with those books, and it's actually made me think that I might write something about Looper and Arrival. <laughs> Interesting, <laughs> and yeah. In terms of destiny versus free will, mm. and in terms of the two main male characters both wanting to take up arms against the future that they mm. see, and the different ways in which they can or can't change. Mm. You know, so I'm really interested in those. That yeah, motif yeah, yeah. Of of time, not time travel in a random way, yeah, yeah, but in yeah. that idea of, uh, and I, and I think that I'm interested in it because it's a device that um, explores what the the novel or the film, the kind of immersive experience, can do in terms of thinking about the slow violence of climate change mm. or um, deep time mm. or these issues that are very difficult to articulate in a, in a logical narrative kind of non-fictional yeah. way. And I think that kind of play, there's something there where we're really thinking very deeply about life and, you know, what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You know, yeah, and how much we can control it and where we should and the consequences of very small moments and it, And it's hard, I guess, in one sense to marshal a appropriate response to yeah. themes that are so huge, right? Yeah. And maybe that's reflected in the way we, we develop policy around these things as well. But in one sense, as writers to talk about these topics, they're so huge. I wonder whether there's commonalities in the way we tackle them, right? And isn't it the idea that what appeals to me, you know, as a writer myself, mm. is it's the experiment. It's the sure. creative play. Yep. You don't necessarily know that it's about those bigger themes, yep. but you take this device and you spin it, you know, you spin the dice. Sure. And and then overall you might look back and go, like all of these are, are concerned with wanting to change mm. things mm. and making big changes that have a lit- little impact sure. and then accidentally doing little things that have a seismic or yep. ripple effect, you know, and... Yeah. yeah, interesting to see um, what kinds of stories uh, come out as our understanding of things like climate change yeah. increase as well, and as sort of the research and the technology around that adapts and hopefully progresses, yeah. and how that affects the stories and the questions that we ask ourselves. And it did make me think a lot about you know quantum theory and epigenetics mm-hmm. and just our understanding mm-hmm. of um, of of the possibility of change and the kind of mechanisms and the kind of micro you know just just the way all of that is really in flux Mm. and I think you know creative writers or you know filmmakers are well placed for this play to be a kind of a a cultural engagement you know with response to reaction to that also might change our understanding you know of of progress yeah yeah (laughs) what that means I mean that goes to our previous conversation the the last topic we dealt Mm. with on the podcast which is about dealing with topics and how specfic is so uniquely positioned to tackle those topics as well um, I agree. But, I concur. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like, we all, I feel like yeah. we all concur in this yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. That this one. is an echo chamber <laughs> in the best possible yeah. sense. Yeah, very interesting. Anything else on the list, Rose? Uh, 
no, I think that's probably the main visual and medium. Very uh, interesting. Yeah. I feel like I need to put in that I've also Absolutely. been reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Six months yes. ago, I was the person who had no TV shows yeah, and it was and only books. And books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, I have been reading I books as well. Read, <laughs> I read the literature. Yes, the literature. Yeah, with so a what have you been L. reading, Dion? Um, a few really interesting things, but um, the one that I'm. Uh, really quite enthusiastic about at the moment is um, Naomi Novik's Uprooted. I'm a couple of years late to the party on this one. Um, I think it came out 2015 and I've been hearing really good things and I can understand why. I sat down to uh, read it, uh, you know, read the first few chapters in a cafe the other day and read like about 150 pages. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's a fairy tale retelling, which is, you know, a genre unto sure. itself, particularly in fantasy. Yep. Um, and I think on paper, it sounds like a fairly standard premise mm. um, but it's one of those rewrites that manages to do such interesting things with the characters and the themes and to use that fairy tale framework as a launching point for some really interesting um, revisions um, and questions particularly around um, you know feminist questions mostly because that's yeah. stuff that really interests me um, so yeah I'm, I'm really enjoying it um, and uh, the way it's very much uh, this coming of age a story for the character who could very easily have just been um, kind of your standard damsel in distress character mm. and it's doing some quite interesting stuff with that. There you go. Um, actually, before we move on to the uh, topic, so uh, a few days ago I was at the Aurealis Awards mm. um, and that's something to chat about as well because um, I think it's very important to have events like this that, mm. that celebrate Specvic and so I was there, it was a great time um, Sean Tan won a bunch of awards as he uh, <laughs> Surprising no rightly one. <laughs> deserves, um, as well as uh, everyone else. Um, a, a special mention to Beth Driscoll and her team who uh, won the um, well Speculative Project Award uh, for their PhD genre worlds. So that's uh, an interesting endeavor. But yeah, all in all, Aurealis Awards, I think it's super important and... Uh, Here's to, here's to many more years of it. Mm. Um, let us move on, shall we, to a specific topic. Yay. Shocking. Nobody. <laughs> um, but uh, it's interesting. So Rose is back early this year um, on the podcast. Uh, but I wanted to chat about a few things. Um, and it was specifically prompted by an article that I read and which su subsequently blew up on the internet um, for... Not very good reasons, I suppose. Things blowing up on the internet? Yeah. Surely not, Joel. <laughs> Shocking, yeah. <laughs> so there's an article um, uh, about an interview with the author Ian McEwan uh, speaking about his new novel, uh, Machines Like Me, I think is the title. Um, and it was an interesting one, mostly because, uh, and this is a conversation Deanna yeah. and I had beforehand, where it felt like a lot of those answers could have been answers we would have heard about 30 years ago. Mm. And... The whole article kind of yeah. felt like it was written 30 years ago. It even had that uh, structure that you would see yes. in those kind of, I sat down in, uh, you know, opposite him in the living room and we discussed the, Yorker, the bourgeoisie uh, yeah. while the sheep grazed in the field outside <laughs> and that sort of thing. So it, yeah. even just the, the style of it kind of felt quite old world. It was very. And uh, a few things that he said sort of set the specific world um, ablaze, not for the first time. Um, but a lot of it was... Uh, reaction against the idea that Specvic in some ways is not 
uh, prescient enough or educated enough to deal with topics beyond, as he puts, uh, power boots landing on a planet. <laughs> yeah. Rocket um, boots, I believe it was. Yeah, Joel. rocket boots. That's true. I'm making it sound better than it was. Um, but all the cool sci-fi has rocket boots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. That's what sci-fi deals with. Um, but in one sense, it's it's less about him and more about that conversation, right? Um, and we always talk about lit spec fic with, with Rose and about those conversations. But specifically now with this coming back up, I would love to hear your thoughts on what you thought about the article, but specifically what it's saying about well, the space we're in. Well, I agree with you guys that it's, it's everything that's said before. Mm. Um, and I think the example we were talking about last time was Kasiri Shiguru when yes. the very giant came yep. out. and fantasy has a different kind of stigma yep. Yep. Uh, attached to it. Um, and, you know, Akatsuri Shiguru didn't seem to have a problem when we were talking, when he, when we, him and I. <laughs> you just sat down <laughs> and had a, a coffee together. And <laughs> um, but, you know, Never Let Me Go, you know, which mm. is clearly, a, you know, about cloning and therefore has, you know, yes. science fiction elements, you know, that, that never seemed to have the reaction that the very no. giant going yeah. into the fantasy you know, or you might say that there are other differences between those books, but it very much seemed like the same, yes. um, you know, comment that was being um, brought forward. And you know, in a lot of ways, Ian McEwan represents kind of almost like the ultimate English establishment, yes. 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 very national yes. writer, He's you know, the institution. Yeah, along with Amos, and yeah. yep. you know, yeah. it's sort of there's a there's a coterie there. So I think there's yeah. kind of a glee to to be able to use one of yep. those writers as as an example of someone who's doing something speculative. Mm. Um, I mean, people like Kazuo Shiguru or James, jo- uh, sorry, um, Joyce Carol Oates yes. is the other one. I've just downloaded yeah. um, her. I haven't even started reading yeah. her time travel one. But, you know, I think a lot of other literary writers do dabble and everybody isn't all kind of up yeah. in arms about it. No. It's what he represents that makes it yeah. an opportunity. And and the um, way he represents it, I suppose. Yeah. And as a sort of a slight aside on that, uh. um, I wonder how much it comes down to marketing as well, because you yes. mentioned the comparison between Ishiguro's books, and I think maybe one of the reasons Never Let Me Go didn't get that same sort of backlash was it was marketed almost as a tragic romance lit yeah. fic mm. rather than like it was never as it you was say set it had cloning, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, even I remember the organ yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the uh, the movie trailer um, yeah. seeing that in cinemas and not even understanding that it was a film about cloning because it was very much painted as like a love triangle Mm. movie and so I think a lot of it also comes down to the way the marketing represents the story because people just don't even make those associations. So perhaps the interesting thing is actually how quick the reaction is. Mm. Like perhaps, you know, the, the, the thing there is more... Um, that you have a community that wants to have that conversation. Mm. You know, and I, I don't mean it as a negative. I mm. mean, it has an appetite to have that conversation. Sure. Mm. And, you know, it's sort of um, Stanley Robinson saying, you know, everything they're the lit guys are doing, whether it's um, Lincoln in the Bardo or whatever, is our guys. You know, they're just yeah. stealing, the, they're, yeah. they're taking those ideas. That's what we're seeing now. And I would argue, well, bloody well, shouldn't we be? Like, yeah. that's where it's at. You yep. know, that's that's the only prism through which I imagine you can reflect yes. this world yep. with any kind of realism. Mm. <laughs> so, of course, you know, realism should become a passe, you know, mode. Um, and so I sort of think that the fire is in the reaction and his kind of, you know, selfish throwaway <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. comment, yeah. well, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I actually thought what was interesting was, you know, thinking of Angela Mayer's book, The Superior Spectre, yeah. yep. and the um, the way in which she deals, you know, and it's a kind of Chrissy Neen style, very erotically, yep. um, with the idea of, you know, a robotic um, 
artificial intelligence, yeah. you know, and, and automation. Um, and the way that she works through those issues are totally not the same issues no. as what I haven't read his book, but what they talk about in that no. article. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was saying no. that to um, Joel when we were talking about it before that. Um, uh, it doesn't even. F- uh, again, I also haven't read the book, so I can't get too judgmental. But based and yet on we will. Yeah, and, yep, yeah, and yes, we, we will. Yeah. <laughs> but based on what I read in an article yeah. online, yeah. Um, it doesn't even sound like it's necessarily pushing any boundaries on the subject of artificial intelligence. Like it no. sounded to me like a pretty standard Ian McEwan Litvick book with a love triangle. Like that just happened yeah. to be <laughs> using AI as almost a gimmick and to say it was doing something different. Yeah. But also, I'm you know I'm really quite into these kind of writers yes. you know like yeah. I, I sort of feel always a bit embarrassed when I like the canon <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know these kind of but it's very true right it's the but way he, they write it yeah. and they're very good at what they do and like he said you know he he's got a love triangle he's got a robot in it that's well endowed what's gonna happen <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know there's a line in there where he said you know I couldn't introduce a man into it and not have him have sex with her and it was well, just he like did, yeah. in the article he did say because it was well endowed so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of follow through yeah but I thought this is the same with, with it's like and it's like that nutshell I did read the you know he takes a device he takes an idea and yes. that's everything speculative fiction is great yes, at mm. absolutely like take yep. an idea and let's work that and then you know I think they're great at going it's not about that mm. there's no science you know this this is yep. just a conceit it's just a concept it's yep. just a metaphor in something else and they're working in the realm of the something else the mm. literary fiction you and know I, in the realist mode and I wonder if uh, like you said it, it, it definitely had something to do with his response, right? His throwaway mm-hmm. lines. Um, because uh, Ishiguro, for instance, is very respectful of the, this, this spec fic community in general, right? Um, and he, he just doesn't want to be part of it. He just doesn't want to be part of it. He's sort of like a... a I'm uh, on the side of the pixies. I, yeah, <laughs> I know. What a strange line. Like, <laughs> like can you not uh, belittle someone yeah. at the same time? Like, as uh, as yeah. promoting yeah. it. He, yeah, it was such an odd... And, and considering that... You know, he later did yeah. a follow-up interview with with Neil Gaiman and sort of like, "Hey, I'm I'm yeah, with the cool pixies. kids now." <laughs> yeah, so you could see that he was trying, maybe not yeah. in the, the right language, but he was certainly trying. Whereas Ian McEwan is very much like, yeah. "Hell no, I'm not going to Comic Con." Yeah. But I'm you know. I'm quite interested in this idea that the fire is reactionary. So you don't think it is? No, no, I'm saying if, if we keep thinking about the okay. idea of the fire as reactionary yeah. and not as that a negative about our community. No, yeah. But I kind of think there's an element like, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I started writing out spec fic and it was not okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> you know? yeah. So there's an element where you're like, wow, this is like... We're actually talking about stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so there's a sort of a sense that yep. our time has come because we're fucking the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like We've got to this point. The climate yeah. issues out there the catastrophic results of our one yes, world yes. experiment yes. have given my writing relevance that it yes. didn't have yeah. when I was 16, you know. Mm. Um, so maybe it's uh, and, and so it's a resistance to having mm. everything taken because yeah. this is this is the moment where we might be the most relevant, you know. And so I think but at the same time that's why it will be taken yeah. because that's what happened has true. happened to yeah. all art forms forever, you know. Mm. Some avant-garde experimental mm. poet plays with punctuation and uppercase and lowercase and then they they can't hold that as their thing yeah. anymore yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. else goes my bag too dipping in that taking it so basically you know. we're resentful because we liked sci-fi before it was cool yeah <laughs> yeah. And it, yeah but i did i do think um i think it's john fro who's you know one of those yeah, you know, yeah. big-headed academics yeah. um who uh, literally 
big-headed. Sorry. Yeah. Not, not as a reflection. John very nice. There was a gesture thoughts. there that wouldn't come across in the podcast yeah. I mean, that gigantic clarified. gigantic brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but he talks about – he's done a book on genre mm. and he talks about the genuine novelty arising at the margins. You know, that this yeah, is sort yeah, of the yeah. movement is things come from – and the thing is that at the point that they're – that they arise, they might not be very well done, mm. you know, because it, it might come out of, um, you know, a very random kind of practice, a very playful kind yep. of fanfic kind of experiment. And then the idea in that sort of yep. Joe Rana Russ sort of model, then the idea starts to get the plausibility. But mm. how would we time travel? But what would be the twists? Yeah, yeah, you know, what, yeah, yeah. what would happen with this automation? What about the battery? Yep. What would be the consequences of, oh, liquids? Oh, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then it gets taken up by the literary yes. mode as kind of almost poetic. You know, it's as the a form kind of a, over the, yeah. Yeah, as a kind yeah. of a shortcut to say something you know, in an imagistic, referential, mm. kind yeah, of symbolic, yeah. surreal mm. kind of way. Um, and so that's kind of just going to continually be the path for all the kinds of genre. Crime, yeah, I mean, yeah. God, the, the podcast on crime, they must be having a big cry <laughs> about everyone's taking all the crime tropes. And yeah, and just putting it in every other fiction. Mainstream, yeah. you know, realist, successful, you know, Western oh, I mean, I mean Specfic's always been doing that in one sense with, like, say, for instance, the mystery um, uh, tropes, right, of Harry Potter, yeah. right? They're all mystery stories. Yeah. And they were just put in a put in a nice Specfic covering and then, yeah. boom, you've got, you know. That's right. Huge success, and I'm, I'm sure there's a few, you know, mystery <laughs> book clubs out there being like, "We've done all this, yeah, and no one, yeah, no one recognised this for it." But, yeah. but maybe this is a conversation we need to keep having, yeah, and it keep coming up. And like, I guess I just see it as a positive, yeah, opportunity. And someone might say something disparagingly, and someone might take mm. it the other way. But the point is, there's so that, much kind of yeah, yeah, we're at this cusp where realism is not going to be the dominant mode mm. forever. Mm. You know? Do you think that's challenging, though, for a, a lot of the um, like established, uh, especially on the litfix side, where they see that and they're like resistant towards it, whether rightly or wrongly, right? That their their fiction is sort of losing relevance. Well, I guess there's a couple of things that you could say about why, that. One of them is how much control, which we were talking about before going have? on air, yeah, do we exactly. have around our writing? Yep. And particularly for an established writer who writes a particular mm. kind of thing. Um, we were talking earlier about Tim Winton, for yeah, instance. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And it, and it works really well. Like, that's how you do your deep processing of the world in yeah. that particular mode. But I think also what realism is will change, you know, in, mm. our, in our understanding of it and will become more a type, you mm. know, or a, a subset, you know, or a genre category. I mean, science category. fiction is realism if that's we're right. basically living in a science yeah. fiction yeah, yeah. world. Yeah. It's our reality. Yeah. So that will probably change the ways that we conceive of what yeah. uh, previously was speculative and now is actually more reflective of what's real. And yeah. even this example with Ian McEwan, I mean, I think the most realist literary highbrow canonical writers will not be I mean, immune. I mean, it's a porous world. Yeah. That's so I think it's right that people identify those moments of slippage and kind mm. of cross-pollination and the, it, it's really interesting to go what happens, you know, at that at that site. Yeah. Um, and there'll be, that. Mm. you know, that's. It's interesting as well that you make the point that, um, like, I think we're so used to thinking of Ian McEwan as this very established writer, but if this is his first foray into a new genre, it's almost more that it's like he's a first-time writer in one sense. Like this, like I'm not sure whether. But at the same time, I look at Nutshell, which was just the Mm. most recent Ian McEwan Mm -hmm. that came to my mind, and I'm like, right, because that's like realism written from the point of view of an unborn child (laughs) in real, you know. So I sort of, and that's the same where I think the parallel with Ishiguro 
through is sound. Yes. Is like every book is a play, yep. and and and, and a we very just happen to be in this form at the moment. Conceitful, yeah. experimental kind of play, mm-hmm. but we somehow don't notice that, and then we notice the robot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but and and also like speaking to that point, I had the inverse effect where a very long time ago I read the Naked Lunch by William Burroughs, right? And I couldn't help thinking throughout that entire ordeal because it really is a it's a it's a dense yeah. hard piece of thing to read and i re- <laughs> shocked face from rose over here I don't, I don't know if that's just shocked me um but it's your <laughs> choice of word hard let's just move on let's move swiftly on it's very burrows <laughs> it is very burrows you can't speak you about it without that kind of language um but yeah reading that I, I really enjoy it, you know, in one sense because it's very strange, and I think it's it's the strangeness of it is very weird fictiony in in one sense. So I couldn't help while reading that I was thinking, am I just reading a kind of spec fic, right? Mm. Um, it's almost surrealist form of of writing, which surrealism and and fantasy is a is a whole other topic for another day, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see these forms being played out. Now, I was having a chat with Dion before, and I, I realized that our entire podcast could also have that chat just <laughs> yeah. included in this because I keep referring to that. But was it the we- communism discussion? <laughs> <laughs> Socialism, communism, yeah. Which one's better? Um, but specifically the fact that, do you think the reaction and maybe the, the vitriol, the more negative vitriol, while is understandable, is not very good because it, it in one sense disincentivizes writers from even trying to play in specific forms, right? I don't of, think it does. You don't, you don't think it has because that effect? It, from what you say mm. about that conversation, it's not in that world of the literature. Exactly. They're never going to notice this you know, anyway. Yeah. So what I would say with those kinds of things is it's like, you know, as an as a, a kind of outsider, it's very mm. interesting what it is that we're trying. So, who is it who's putting up the walls? Yeah. Maybe it's not the like legitimate realist literary exactly, fiction writers, yeah. but it's actually the genre communities. Yep. Yep. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I mean, no, in fact, yeah. the um, the paper that I'm giving at the editing conference tomorrow, whichever day this is, um, <laughs> is about what are our rights yeah. to um, express voices that are other people's voices. And they're not. It's not you can do anything mm. forever. So I think that to defend particular kinds of voices exactly, or particular yeah. kinds of forms or particular kinds of characters is well and good. Mm. But you want to be aware of what it is that you're doing and why and what yeah. it is that's got your goat and why. Yeah. Um, but that's part of what it is to have the conversations around, you know, the media and yeah. – um, you know, I think that I guess what I find most fruitful in productive is the idea of conversation, the idea of dialogue, and the idea of people thinking about what what is it that you can do that I'm okay with, yeah. and what is it that you can't do that I'm not okay with. What is it that you say that is disparaging mm. and reflects and impacts on my practice or my community? Yeah. And what is it where I go, actually, you know, you've done that respectfully, and yes. you know, we can yeah. kind of include it or not. But I would say always. Um, I think it's uh, Derrida's law of genre. You know, he says as soon as the, the word genre is sounded, it's like a trumpet. You know, it's like a clarion call. It's like, come fight me. Yeah, yeah. We're in the ring now. Yeah, yeah. And, and so any time when you, um, you are shoring up your mm. walls, it's always because you're trying to protect something which presumably yeah. is ripe for the taking. Yeah. So that's, and you become that's the bit I'm like, well, I'd rather busy myself creatively. Yeah. Um, in, and in one sense, it's not. 
I don't think it's at all a step back, right, in the conversation, because I feel like it would be a step back, for instance, use an example like Angela Maya, right? Uh, imagine if Ange just said, you know what, spec fic, you know, robot yeah. boots on a moon, it's not my <laughs> thing, and then... You know, she wrote. And yet, she, uh, you know, and yet, interestingly, I think she may well turn out to be a writer who doesn't write in one genre. Exactly. I feel like, you yeah, know, I feel like there's a r- lot yeah, of room to play. As, as with a lot of us, I think Jane Rawson or, you know, this is just reminding me when my first book came out, which actually does have cloning in it, and then I read Never Let Me Go, like mm, that came out really soon yeah, afterwards, yeah. and Jodie Picoult did a cloning book, and the difference in mm. my feeling about, because yeah, yeah. I was going to, you know, I was doing, you know, yeah, yeah, no yeah, one yeah. was writing this cloning yeah, book it was in new. 2007 yeah, fresh. or whatever, like yeah, there really yeah. wasn't any literary fiction that, mm. that was very much a literary book that just happened to have just the idea yeah. and someone finds out she's her sister's clone. And I remember seeing like a Jodie Picot ad on mm. a tram or whatever and thinking, oh, <laughs> oh well, no one who reads her is going to read me, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, Very yeah, different yeah. cloning worlds. Yeah. But, you know, an interesting comparison with those three books is, yeah. you know, none of them have any – like I probably did the most scientific research of any yeah, of yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I think there's room for all kinds sure. and the discussion as long as it's productive mm. is good. Yeah. But when it becomes more about that than actually generating the new work, when it becomes about protecting something that no one's actually creating or doing anymore, yeah. well, then that's clearly like the tooth that's well brushed and has shiny enamel and is just going to explode. Explode, yeah. Bite into a subway Well, that's segment. a very visceral yeah. image. Yeah, I know. This is awfully descriptive. Yeah, and very specific. Okay? Yeah, very, very specific. <laughs> the um, but in, yeah, in, in one sense... Looking at it in the conversation, right, and and seeing the way people are talking about it, one, it's giving a lot of freelance journalists a lot of work, which is good, <laughs> um, but also, and it's the yeah, it's such a guardian thing to do. Yeah, I exactly. Think really, and I feel like that is very up. much, yeah. the, you know, it's but isn't that no coincidence that it happens all the time? I don't know the guardian's readership, mm. but one of their things presumably would be that you take these kind of high-profile literary people mm. who are probably not really reading The Guardian and yes. then you, yeah. you, you know, you're kind of you foster, putting the cat Yeah. You foster controversy. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Mm. But maybe not controversy in the negative sense, right? You're fostering conversation, which is, you know, strange for me to say about The Guardian, but, you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> First time on the podcast. There you go. A, a little muted compliment. Um, but, yeah, so moving forward, I guess, in the discussion, and I guess this is a conversation we'll have almost every year, Rose. We'll keep bringing you back every time there's <laughs> something like this. But yeah, in, in the the first time when you were writing, um, were you very aware that you were trying to work in? Uh, no, in a, yeah, there we go. Not. Yeah, so you know, so talk me through. And so that. I feel kind of quite naive. Yeah, you know, in that in that regard, and I feel like I, I know earlier in the conversation mm. I said we as though I'm part of the speculative fiction community, <laughs> yeah. but also I'm a really bad community member. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'm I'm sort of not at cons and, you know, yeah, all, yeah. Of, all of that kind of thing. Yep. And so in a lot of ways, I think I, I don't uh, belong is that a struggle? and I don't have rights. Is that a struggle to, in one sense that you... Uh, I just think I can't presume that I'm allowed to do mm. what I do. Right, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, It's not really my choice. It's what I think are good ideas for a good story. And yep. it kind of yep. takes you in that, that sort of direction. And I think that... Um, you know, I just um, wasn't very exposed to, um, uh, you know, books that sort of weren't in on uni reading lists. Mm. You know, I read a lot of fantasy and science fiction as a teenager mm. in that YA space. Mm. And then, you know, as publishing talks about all the time, the what, what happens to the YA readers, they kind of drop off. Mm. And, you know, and at that point I started writing. I went to uni, you know, and did my literature mm. kind of subjects and was being published but was then just suddenly reading, you know, James Joyce and, mm. you know, um, 
you know, a lot of fantastic uh, burrows. Yeah, yeah. You know, classics of various kinds. Yeah. But not really contemporary writers, you know, not really, you know, 30-year-old Australian writers. Like now, yeah. you know, I read so much, you know, new release Australian mm. fiction, you know, which is, um, you know, so I just wasn't exposed to that. So what I was producing was really just you know, through the writing style of that literary education mm. and then the, you know, the ideas that had always interested me, which were speculative and fantasy and actually, you know, detective, uh, kind of less so crime, a little bit romance of the Georgette Heyer sort yeah. of variety. And I think that, you know, so you're following those kind of narratives out of the genre forms because that's what pleases you, mm. you know, um, that's what you like to read. But you actually, your education is all around this kind of poetic language and that sort of literary side of things. Yeah. So it was really only retrospectively I was like, oh, so that idea is more important than all my polished prose. Yeah, so I'm going to yeah, get yeah, categorised because okay. of that idea, which is fine. I'm totally fine. Yeah, yeah, Categorise yeah, yeah. me all you like. It's, you know, nice, nice to have friends. Um, <laughs> but it seems a little bit disproportionate. Like if anyone yep, picks yep, up yep, my yep. stuff and actually wants a time travel book or yeah, actually wants a book about okay. cloning, yeah, I, yep. I, I'm not sure they're going to be happy. And, and that's interesting because I, I had um, re- recommended Angie's book to, to a few people who maybe had, were more on the spec fic side of things. And I didn't realize the, the reaction that I would get was that they just wasn't, they weren't like, they didn't get it in one sense. They, they didn't enjoy it as much because, again, you know, while it has a lot of spec fic in it, it's, it's working, yeah, in a different mode. It's working in a different form while still containing a lot yeah. of uh, spec fic conventions. So I think all of that discussion around genre mm. is very interesting if it enables you to shape and edit and recognize your work sure. and your community. Mm. Not if it limits you, mm. but if you realize as you're going, oh, I'm making a ratatouille. This is a thing. Yeah. People have done yeah, this yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. They know what the ratio of tomato yeah, to yeah, yeah. garlic is. Is there garlic in a ratatouille? Uh, you know, they, they know very hungry. what that would be. <laughs> so, you know, then there's a reason for recognising that dish, but not, yeah. at the, not at the point of sort of stopping your creativity, mm. but at the point of you realising there are precedents and there are antecedents and there are models that mm. work and there are things that you could then see what you're doing and recognise what you need to do to, to push it to the next level, you know. It's the thing about how, um, particularly in speculative fiction, but also in any genre, tropes can be either um, a crutch or um, a pathway, depending yes. on how you yeah, use them. Absolutely. Tropes can be really great, but you have to be doing something new and interesting with them rather than just falling That's back right. on cliches because they're But if easy. you don't know you're in the genre, you might not even recognise it. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is what Ishiguro um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, stumbled on inadvertently. Mm. That's right. Mm. And 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 I'm not sure whether we talked about this on when we were chatting about the book, but it's a conversation I've had it's with a time travel. We can do it. Let's just go <laughs> well, back. Let, let's just go back. Let's <laughs> loop Sorry, it. Let, let's loop it. This. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. So um, it. So I've been talking to a few uh, authors, and some of them are historical authors, and a few of them have mentioned that one of their big hangups with Ishiguro's book, in mm. one sense, is because he he supposes that. Uh, a minority uh, group, a minority ethnic group in mm. the story, are the antagonists mm. and the the actual um, you know conquerors oppressor. in oppressor <laughs> in in history. The Saxons are the the good guys mm. in one sense. Mm. So he's working in a form that you know is talking about something that has you know pretty much wiped out a, a culture in one sense. So by doing that, maybe a bit blasé and maybe yeah. not mm-hmm. recognizing that, and that's not even fantasy, that's just no. historical mm-hmm. fact, right? Yeah. Um, what anyone would call like misappropriation even mm. is, is something that ends up being talked about. Don't you think that's interesting though, um, 
the the because it's the uh, Angles and the Saxons. Exactly, it doesn't matter as much. It doesn't matter, <laughs> but it matters to me. Yeah, that's right. And I think this is this this is a great risk. Yes, is you go. Oh well, you know, if it was Indigenous Australians, you know, if it was First Australians, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had the whiteies coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we we can recognise this yes. issue there. But I I just can imagine him, and you know, particularly also as you know, an immigrant to exactly. England, and you're going, this is all old English culture, and not really differentiating perhaps. Mm. And yet I thought, you know, if it was Vikings and Celts. You know, like, mm. uh, but it, but I think it is. I think it is particularly interesting. I think that he's lo- he's lost that sensitivity there. Yeah. Out of the pleasure of the writer, going, exactly. Wow, imagine. And, and that's the thing. I loved the Barry Giant because yeah. I, even though I'm very passionate about that, it's weird. I'm very passionate about that single slice of history, mm-hmm. and yet I didn't recognize yeah. that as an issue until afterwards. And thinking about it, it being like, ooh. You know, yeah. this is, you know, this is kind of strange and a bit odd and maybe that sense was always underlying me and, like, something's off here. Um, and that inversion was a bit harmful to the story. I think it's story. interesting as well. Um, I was thinking about his The Unconsoled, mm. which has a very similar atmosphere. It's a constant dream. I haven't, I haven't read it, So it's yeah. like just a dream. So yeah. you're constant, the, you, the narrator, the mm. main character, is constantly walking into a room and realising they're running late for a piano concerto and mm. someone's putting their jacket on and the lights are going up and sitting down and realising that they haven't bought the present for the birthday party and running out the back and it going into the um, the pier to go to the boat to leave. To, you know, it's that dream thing where you yeah, constantly yeah. go into very complete stories mm that don't kind of seem to connect. And there's this very claustrophobic, panicky mm. feeling that it relates in you of what, what? And, and it's quite similar atmosphere to The Buried Giant. Mm. Like that was my overriding experience of that book mm. was around the loss of memory mm. and yep. the puzzle of what is it that they are forgetting and, you know, this idea of like clearly a kind of cultural forgetting but yeah. also mm. within the relationship. You know, that was so much the motivating thing mm. rather than fantasy. Like whether so the dragon it was, a was sense. real or a myth. So for you as a reader, your sense was that he was doing a bit what you were mentioning before, that you had done exploring particular themes and ideas and just sort of incidentally stumbling onto spec fic tropes. That's right, exactly, just as a kind of a way through it. And and in fact, what I was then going to say, I was looking back at one of David Mitchell's earlier Mm. books the other night, um, Number Nine Dream, and I was thinking it's funny, you know, when when you have an author and you can see in an earlier work they're working through almost the same issues, atmosphere, language, but it just hasn't got that cut through with the idea mm. you know and often that idea then takes them towards genre you know takes mm. them towards crime or yeah. speculative or whatever whereas the first work mm. is just a bit more innocuous yeah, you know, yeah. it's a bit more mm. and probably a little bit more irrelevant yeah you know yeah it's interesting too because science fiction uh particularly you know hard sci-fi as mm. it's often called uh is very much seen as being a high concept like genre the like, or yeah yeah like exactly yeah. there's usually um this central idea or question usually about humanity and our place in the yeah. world World, yep. that becomes the motivator so sci-fi is in many ways known for being a genre motivated by a high concept yes. idea um so it's interesting um this that maybe people that's also why just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah don't take that yeah yeah you can take my moon boots <laughs> yeah. don't take my high concept idea and then the martian itself is playing with forms because it has a thriller motif throughout the the, mm. the book as mm-hmm. well and using a lot of filmic concepts which mm inevitably translated into a very good film um so yeah you've got already specific stealing and playing with yeah. forms so it's no wonder that that people are stealing uh specific forms it's good i think as long as there's all that cross-pollination you know yeah. the species continues i mean and this is this is when do you think that becomes a negative thing 
Do you think that will ever be a negative thing? No, no, I just... I mean, I think that some people might... We'll know it when left, it happens. Or some people <laughs> might get left behind, you know, sure. because they're protecting something that no one's stealing from anymore because no one's interested <laughs> in it anymore. I think it's just, you know, it's Irrelevant. Darwinian sort of survival yeah. of the fittest, you know, like... You're a relevant you, can, you know, yeah, exactly, the... the um, you know, the species intermingle, they cross-breed, yep. you know, they, 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 this is sort of how we propel forward. Yeah, there's a frog with no arms that feels really sad that he, <laughs> he didn't make it, yeah. I don't know why that image. No, I was him. like, that was a very specific image. It just very good in my head, yeah. You can, you can shelve it with the teeth. Yeah. 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 I'm, just, I'm coming out of this podcast with all sorts of new nightmares, yeah. so thank you both. There you go. But I just, I do think it's productive. I think what you've got to worry is when no one is interested in what you're doing, and it doesn't look like anything else. Yeah. And it looks like something that has gone before. Yeah. You know, and in static. If it doesn't look like anything else and it's new and weird and wonderful, everyone will catch up eventually and steal it. That's <laughs> a really good point because the golden age of science fiction, as it's called, mm. you know, in that period where sci-fi was looking forward into mm. the stars and stuff like that, no one cared uh, in terms of no one yeah. was talking about it. People yeah. just read it as a form of escapism, yeah. but it had no impact no. or cultural relevance mm. no. uh, except to, to the people who enjoyed it, right? right? And it's a very interesting... Uh, there was a tweet somebody said that it's shocking that uh, Avatar, uh, the, yeah. the not not the last Airbender one, the yeah, yeah. Uh, um, James the, Cameron, yeah, 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 had grossed four billion dollars and is. No know. one can remember the characters' names. It's, exactly. There's this whole online phenomenon it about almost how as if it doesn't exist. Yeah, it's it's this. Uh, there's some really interesting commentary on it online about yeah. how it is one of the highest-grossing films, and no one remembers anything about it. It doesn't have no any. Footprint. Yeah, no quotable <laughs> moments. No one remembers the characters. It needs to be a better word it's than just, footprint. No kind of cultural. Yeah, echo yeah, or, yeah, yeah. And um, and it's it's just this bizarre thing where people became so engaged with it. It was so financial successful and yet it's had no cultural impact. Do you think so it became engaged with it though? Or yeah, do you but think maybe it's a fleeting experience. You know, yeah. like it's an experience yeah. that doesn't... I um, think became engaged in the trend of uh, attending it at the time, sure. if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of, okay, you know, particularly it, yep. because I think that was around a time when 3D, 3D films were still quite new. It was a big zenith of things yeah, coming it was together. Just the, it was almost like it was a reflection of a moment in time rather than an influencer on um, yeah. our culture, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and in one sense, the story of Avatar is really unoriginal, you know, mm-hmm. like, and this has been talked to death, but yeah. in one sense, there's nothing there yeah. for anybody to look mm-hmm. at and be like, let's have a chat about this. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's, there's nothing almost. Mm-hmm. In fact, the conversation is why there's nothing there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what fascinates people. That's what people remember, the fact yeah. that they don't remember <laughs> Yeah, <anything>. exactly. <laughs> but there you go. Well, I'm trying to think of that, oh. um. Oh, sorry. No, no, we've got we've got one more point. Go oh, for okay. It. Well, we might might have to edit it and, and look it up. But I'm trying to think of that Picasso <laughs> quote, which is not as it's not as simple as bad artists copy, great artists steal. Yeah. But it's something around that. But but actually, the detail I think is really relevant to the idea that productive work is being done not just by the genre that is producing sure. whatever is stolen but the act of stealing you know mm. that is that is the um, moving the culture forward you know yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the engagement and that's that idea that um, that that ideas and artistic expression goes across genre and across sure. niches and across communities yep. and practice yeah so. interesting um, I'm do trying we, to find the quote, the but there's, quote. Um, there's like a million Picasso artist quotes, yes. uh, so I'm, I'm afraid might, I can't find the exact one at this moment. No. There you go. That's you, all good. You might have to edit my um, last point out because it was so poorly made. Oh, that's <laughs> Very fine. relevant. 
take it on faith. You, you paraphrased <laughs> Picasso, which in a way is proving his point about oh, how you exactly. are. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring it on. back around, yeah. <laughs> I think this co-host is the keeper. Yeah. There you go. whole reason he brought me in was just... <laughs> just for that moment. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you, Rose, for coming on. It was My a pleasure, pleasure to have you. As always, why don't you tell us what you've got coming up? Oh, yes. Yeah, so, um, I was just uh, telling... Um, yeah, um, sorry, that's terrible. I was just talking before about the Melbourne Knowledge Week um, festival that the City of Melbourne runs in the in the Knowledge Centre, which is around RMIT, and the hub is the old meat market. And there's space. a yeah, some um, of the writers that um, from RMIT we've produced some material for the speculative futures event and exhibitions around there and the stories will be live on the website um, but there will also actually be a public event at the meat market on Thursday the 23rd at 10 o'clock in the morning. Not a very friendly time for a launch <laughs> but you know maybe there'll be pastries, there's a cafe um, but it's actually the Speculative Futures and yeah. it's about a Melbourne, imagining Melbourne 2050 and there are themes of drowned cities and the writers, the artists have worked with data sets mm-hmm. that you can access so even... Um, uh, you know, for potential listeners who are creatives themselves, sure. there's a lot of ideas around that knowledge and imagine that knowledge mm-hmm. week festival and the imagining of the future. There's a lot of events around that could be of interest to practitioners. Amazing. Quick question. Yeah. Um, so I know that um, uh, last year's Melbourne Knowledge Week theme was um, around not just the idea of the future, but kind of an optimistic but realistic look at the future and sort of what solutions can come out of that as opposed to looking at things in this kind of grim dystopian yeah. way. Aww. Is that, yeah, <laughs> Joel's just like, oh, Joel, Joel has been telling me about his nihilism today. <laughs> so he's just like, what a sweet idea. Yeah, a little bit. It's, it's, it was the segue. Yeah. Um, so is that still something that's being explored through the So we did some interesting work where they presented um, themes to mm-hmm. us and, you know, they had artists and designers and a whole range of different sort of installations. Um, and the themes were around things like water. There was a lot of themes mm-hmm. of water. There's some musical installations around water, um, you know, rising waters, um, lack of water, um, you know, the, the value, I guess, of water. There's a lot of imagining around children, mm. you know, future cities and streets mm. and this mm. knowledge precinct. Um, so it was sort of um, less kind of mechanistic of mm. where will we actually sure. be in 2050 and much more sort of impressionistic. Mm. And there was very interesting, they had a futures futurist mm. saying that that's not a thing anymore apparently because we can't predict because the time is coming so fast yeah, and the predictions yeah. will be overridden. And so really what they did was put the put the pass the ball to the creatives yep. and say it's actually about making that future. Yeah, interesting. So it was quite yeah, and so we've yeah, worked yeah. in pairs with sort of um, emerging and more established writers mm. and created works kind of in dialogue, yeah. um, you know, around those sort of themes. So it's been a fun play. Yeah, it sounds great. Amazing. Fantastic. Well, check that out. I would definitely be there if I wasn't gone. But um, please do go and attend and take photos and, and yeah, spread it around. Dion, what have you got coming up? What are you up to? And where can people follow you? Uh, people can follow me on Twitter at Fifi Fail, which is my very professional Twitter handle. Um, and... Uh, in terms of what I have coming up, uh, the National Young Writers Festival is, uh, yes, uh, so that's in October, but <laughs> that's approaching very fast. Uh, so we're kind of in the final stages of uh, preparing the program for that, which will be announced in the next month or so. Uh, let, let's say two months. 
Um, so that's very exciting. Um, and uh, that's kind of the biggest, the big project up on the horizon for us. Amazing. Fantastic. Well, you can find The Morning Bell, as usual, themorningbell.com.au, which is probably where you're listening to this. Uh, follow our Twitter at SpecFicVic. Uh, Ian's just come back from New Zealand, so I just met him today and we had a good conversation about uh, the newsletter. So I know I've been saying for three episodes there's a newsletter. <laughs> so this time there will be because I looked at it on his computer. He's back in the country. No uh, excuse now. Exactly. I just had to meet him and be like, all right, where's this up to? So the gallery is also live at the moment. So all the photos uh, from Speculate you can now view. Oh, um, I didn't know that. And, I'm going to go uh, look up myself. Exactly. <laughs> we did. That was my first thing. Too. There you go. Um, so <laughs> my, uh, our wonderful photographer, Kai, um, he did an amazing job. So please uh, have a look at those photos and tweet about it. Um, apart from that, this will be my last podcast for two months. So I'm leaving you in the good care of Ian as host. And Deanne and Luke as co-hosts. So there's some really great guests on the line. You're in for a great time, everybody. Exactly. (laughs) And I will be listening and interested. As always, thank you for listening. And we will see you on the next episode. Thanks, Joel. Thank you.